Would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. This part, this introduction, this part of Paul's second letter here to the Thessalonians is about that church. Later on, God willing, in our study here, we will get to that part that talks about the restraint, the divine restraint that exists in the world today, restraining the full and complete force of evil in the world until that restraint is removed. It is a, it is to underscore the significance and the importance of the presence of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world today. In the Old Testament, the elect was the nation of Israel. And all of the activities of the nations revolved around how God was dealing with and developing Israel. I've said it many times. When you read world history books, you don't, you can look at an era of history, for example, or consider an era of history that is applicable to a certain part of Scripture in the Old Testament, and you won't see an account of the wars and the kings and the kingdoms and the so-called world rulers that have been discovered historically or archaeologically or whatever in the thousands of years that have passed. But in the Bible, you won't see that. But you will see the account of how God deals with Israel. Occasionally, some earthly king will be mentioned and his kingdom. But it is only there relative to God's dealing with his people. Now, in the New Testament, continuing to move, that is humankind, continuing to move to the glorious establishment of the kingdom of God, which I believe is not too far away when Christ comes and establishes that thousand-year rule. Since the birth of Christ, all of the world has been moving to that point. And so the church has its marching orders, and we have our commission, our instructions, our commands in the New Testament. We're expected, of course, to be obedient to those things 
And we learn later on in 2 Thessalonians that the only thing that keeps the world from falling completely into darkness, as dark and as deluded as the world is today, unlike at any time in my lifetime, at least in the country and the nation where I live, I'm aware that portion there are places always that have been immersed in darkness, spiritual darkness around the world. And we've been privileged to have lived in a nation that was founded on principles, biblical principles, really. But it seems that uh, as we consider our broken nation today, it seems that in so many ways, spiritually, the church is in full retreat in some ways. Disobedient to the commands of Christ. Living like the world so that the world sees no difference of what it means to be in Christ until finally the church is taken away, the work of the church and the work of the Holy Spirit in the church taken away. He who restrained. And then, of course, the tribulation, the horrible things that are written about in the book of the Revelation. Begs the question when we consider this section of Scripture what church then is considered worthy of the calling? The very word church in the Greek text means called ones or called out ones. Ekkaleo, ekklesia. The word church comes from ekkaleo. Ek means out from. Kaleo means to call. Called out from. The church. Every one of us who are in Christ are in Christ because we've been called out from the spiritual death that otherwise exists and rests upon mankind. We've been called out from that and we've been given divine rebirth, born again. And that's why we're the church. We're not a church because of the building is an unfortunate the word church in the, English, in the English translation originally is, to me, an unfortunate translation because the word church speaks more of a place in the English language, especially in the old King James language, than it does a people. Kurioikos is the, is the Greek word that's translated into church, which kurios means Lord, oikos means house. The Lord's house, kurioikos, a lordly house, the Lord's house, house of the Lord. But the church is not a place. The church is a people. We are ecclesia, ecclesia. We're the called out ones. And God has called us out from forever. And in the course of time works out in our particular lives what he has determined in all of eternity. And we have a purpose you and I are living in this moment of time, and there have been other historical eras, eras of history. There may be others yet to come. I'm thinking this may be the final era of history that leads to the final tribulation and the coming of the Lord to establish his kingdom. That's my thought, my belief, my firm belief. 
That said, there are people who have lived in different eras of history. And here we are in this particular time and in the particular place where we live. And so we have a purpose. And the purpose is suitable according to the divine wisdom and eternal purpose of God. His purpose in my life is suited to the time and place when and where I live. Because of the Spirit's moving, I, of course, by conviction, well, by declaration from heaven, I am a part of the church. The Holy Spirit took me at the calling of God in my physical life and immersed me into the church. That's the Holy Spirit baptism. That's the one baptism that Paul writes. There's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And the Spirit took me and put me in the church. And so I'm here. Not just the local church, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that was done for me and done to me. And therefore, by family nature, by the, by the nature of my being born again into the family of God, I must be with my family, my people, God's people. I don't feel comfortable, nor do I feel at home in the other parts of the world that are not relative to the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the farther along we go and the more I see, the more I recognize how out of place I am in the activities of this world. It's getting worse and the darkness is getting darker. But there are those churches that just seem to stand out. As a matter of fact, there's seven, seven letters to seven different churches in the book of the Revelation. Five of them come under condemnation. Only two of them escape condemnation. Two out of seven. And the Lord is seen, the church is illustrated in the Revelation, those seven churches as seven lampstands. And so they're in a place, and where they're placed, they're supposed to light up that place, that particular area of the big room where they are. Some of them are flickering and going out, and the Lord comes and examines that lampstand. And it, it's not working properly. It gets choked off. The oil isn't flowing like it ought to flow, and... The Lord even warns, I'll remove your lampstand from its place if you don't thus and so. So even there, there's a difference made among churches. So now we come to this portion of scripture, a church considered worthy of the calling. A church that is deemed entitled to the calling. Now by the grace of God, by the eternal purpose and sovereign grace of God, we are called, if we are in Christ, we are called irresistibly to the salvation that God has prepared for us from forever. And now what do we do with it? This calling. What happens to it? 
Well, there's a good illustration here in the beginning of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. First of all, the church that is worthy is a church that is known. It's, a, it's an acclaimed church. People know that there is something different about that church among other churches. So what is it that makes it acclaimed? Well, let's look at it here. Beginning in verse 1, Paul and Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We can never escape our position. We are positionally in Christ. If we have been called to Christ, we are in Christ, that'll never change. Grace to you and peace from. Let's consider the dative here in the Greek, to you. Uh, grace to you. Charis humin. Kaerene. And peace, apo, from God the Father, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. A dative followed by this preposition, by this, uh, by this uh, preposition from, out from. Grace to you, a free gift, undeserved, but it's yours. And it brings something with it. There's something that is absolutely connected with it that cannot be separated and that is peace to be one with peace grace brings with it peace so there is no wrath of God that rests upon me as I am in Christ Jesus the Lord grace brings with it peace Riding upon, wrapped around, joined with grace is peace. And this peace makes me one with the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am joined to them by grace. And in that union, I am at peace with God. His wrath is not upon me. Some dreadful day for many. Perhaps a joyful day for some. How can we enjoy as the bride of Christ, accompanying Christ at the great white throne, when the second resurrection forces out from Hades, the abode of the, the netherworld, the abode of the unrighteous dead in the second resurrection, the resurrection unto damnation, this horrible putrid resurrection of zombies that are outfitted to be tormented forever, cast into a place where the fire is never quenched and the worm never dies. And it's more than discomfort. It's more than torture. It's beyond that. It's the outer darkness, and so there is eternal blindness. And from all of the ages, all of the unsaved dead stand before the great white throne. Their names are not found written in the book of life. They are cast into the lake of fire, brought up from Hades, a place of torment, and cast into the lake 
of fire. The only amen that we can give to that is that God is a just God and his justice is satisfied either by Christ for his own or by the eternal destruction and death of those who have been raised in the second resurrection. Those without Christ have no peace. The wrath of God abides on them in this life unless and until God draws them to himself and they come under conviction to be saved. That wrath will continue through life into the grave, out of the grave, and into the lake of fire forever. That's not for me because of grace. I don't deserve it. It's a free gift. You see, I can't have peace without grace. And so God, graciously, I don't know why, this will be my pursuit of research forever. The grace of God. It even makes the elect angels marvel. That's what the Bible says. So maybe I'll sit down with one of those guys. And we'll have our scrolls and our heavenly quills. And I may sit down and say, tell me, you've been at this a little longer than I have. The grace of God. And I know what will happen. He'll look at me and shake his heels. He'll say, man, I've been around a long time. I hadn't figured it out either. I was created the elect angel of God, but you, <laughs> on the other hand, have been perfected by grace and glorified, something that was imposed upon you and imputed to you because of the blessed one, the holy one of Israel, the son of God, who didn't count it something to be held on to at all costs, to lay aside his deity and robe his righteousness upon you and all of those who are the elect of God. And I, I can't figure it out. It'll be a wonderful research project, I can tell you that. Because the further I go into the ages, the more I will learn of my Lord Christ and the Heavenly Father. So that in a million years from now, I'll know a lot more about him than I know then. But I'll never, I, it's the unsearchable riches. It is the inexhaustible study of one who is infinite. And I cannot even define infinite. Because he is God and I will never discover all that there is to know about God. Grace. And peace. They're there. Because they have come from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This church acclaimed, we ought always to give thanks to God for you brothers. 
as it is only uh, fitting. It's, 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 it's only fitting that we do this. And he gives four reasons. Number one, because your faith is growing abundantly. Growing faith. Faith is not a stagnant thing in the child of God. And anybody here who is a child of God will understand what I'm saying. When I was a 25-year-old man, having made my public profession, having publicly come forward to be in Christ at the age of 10, and those, I don't know what, 15 years had passed, let me tell you something. That was in the, what, 70s? The things that happened to me in the 90s that guy in the 70s couldn't have handled. He had to go through the 70s and all that he faced. And then the hotter fires of affliction in the 80s. And then arrive at what appeared to be the very boundary of hell. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> but because of all of the things and everything seemed to be increasingly worse that I faced spiritually and the battles got harder and this one was the toughest of all up to that point in time. And God brought me through it. Because my faith had grown through all the other things that I had done. We have a belt system in martial arts. You start out as a nothing. You wear a white belt. You progress through the ranks. But let me tell you something. A wise instructor is not going to take a green belt and throw him into the ring or on the mat with an angry third Dan or fourth Dan. You put this guy in here with me? Okay. The last test. I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of hours I spent in the ring and on the mat leading up to this point in time, 1980. In our system, the last thing you test for is fifth Dan. It become Quan Jing, Master Quan Jing. According to the degree that you're testing for, you have to fight that many black bets. If you're testing for third Dan, you take, you take three on at a time. This was fifth Dan. I arrived at the Dojang to see five adult angry men that I'd never seen before. I was going to be thrown out into the floor of the Dojang with those five and they were all going to attack me. My master instructor had prepared me for this over the years. 
you start out with two at a time and then maybe three at a time who are much less ranked than you are. And then on up and you do it over and over, hours and hours, hundreds, of, I don't know how many hours. But because of the progression of the difficulty, that moment, that night, though difficult, didn't seem all that insurmountable. Let's just find out. It's the moment of discovery. And I went to the table, there were, I don't know what, three or four Koreans there. I said, I have one request. I want all the rules out the window. No rules. It's the only way I'm going to survive this thing. No rules. <laughs> there was this uh, big space heater, a lot bigger than that thing. It's a big space heater. It had bricks that had little flames coming out. What was it? Gas heater, I guess. It was in the corner. This used to, the dojang used to be a church. It was a wooden floor. So these five guys, I'd never seen them before. They were from Atlanta, up in Tennessee and all around. There was one guy about six, seven. Man, he hook kicked me in the forehead during that thing. It was real. His foot was real. So the first thing I did was I screamed and jumped at them and they all kind of went this way and I ran and got behind the heater. There was a space behind that heater. <laughs> now, it was a little more equal. They couldn't come at me but except through the fire of the heater. It worked itself out during the night. Here's my point. Faith is growing. We should never curse the moment when it's difficult as a believer. We want to, trust me. Really shouldn't even ask the question why. We should bless God for it because he has seen fit for us to develop and grow in our faith. So that the time comes and I have to face a lion in the arena, bless God, he'll be glorified through this moment somehow. This is the church at Thessala, Nikki. Give thanks to God for you. It's just right for us to do this. Number one, because your faith is growing beyond its boundaries. That's what the, the word is up there, is abounding. Pleonazi, pleonazi. Pledis means to be filled completely full. And here, it means all the way to its boundaries. And then when it gets to the boundaries, it just sort of keeps stretching. It's kind of like the waistband on my pants. When the stomach reaches its boundary, thank God, Pat buys these things, got these little elastic things on the side. And I think, that's my faith. That's like my faith has an elastic band around it. It grows to its boundaries. (laughs) 
It's always pushing out. This is the faith of the saints in Thessaloniki. Your faith is growing to its boundaries and pushing it out beyond where it was. Number two, the love of each one of you all toward one another increases all the more. Now, that's an interesting phrase up there. Uh, It means that your love has infected others and that same love that has infected others through them will still yet infect others. The love of a Christian, the agape, you see the word, agape. The abounding, the ever increasing, moving out from you into the lives of others and through them into the lives of others. Do you know why you won't be judged immediately when you die that there's a judgment seat of Christ for believers? Because only Christ knows how the rewards for you will continue beyond your present life. You ever thought about that? So, this increasing love infects others and it goes beyond your generation. It has an effect that only the Lord can know. Paul says, we thank God for you for that. Number, in verse four he says, so that we ourselves boast about you among the churches of God. Number four, for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Thessaloniki was a difficult place to be a Christian, especially when you have just come out of the pagan world and all of a person's life, his, his craft, his handiwork, his, his labor, his social life, everything is hooked to a temple of a god or a goddess and he forsakes those things. He's come to Christ he, he faces persecutions and afflictions and endures them through perseverance, endurance, and faith. You remember what Joseph said to his brothers, you meant it for evil. God means it for good. No wonder the church of the Thessalonians was such a a, a wonderful illustration of a church worthy of its calling. Then a church that is accredited. You ever thought about that? This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. Decaius, righteous. It, it's, it's, it comes from a word that means to justify, to be just, equitably just, the justice of God. God's justice is equitable toward me, not because of me, but because of Christ. And by faith, Christ is my Savior. 
And so his righteousness is upon me. And therefore, there, there is no judgment upon Christ who's perfect. The Lamb of God taking away the sin. Of, he is my righteousness. But then there are those who are not in Christ. Justice is still justice. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. You will be accountable. You will be made accountable for the kingdom of God through God's righteous judgment. Number one, you're in Christ. Therefore, your sins were judged on the cross, not upon yourself. For which you, and you're suffering for the kingdom. It is therefore right... It is righteous with God to repay with affliction those who afflict you. This is the equitable justice of God. God says in the judgment, you did it to them. I'm going to do it to you. They were covered. You were never covered. And so justice must fall upon sin. A righteous and just God cannot allow sin sin to go unpunished. That is why there is a great final judgment of all things. That God will show himself to be just. He is just toward me because he has imputed to me the righteousness of Christ. It's like in Zechariah, the, the priest who came into the temple and he he had a filthy robe on and God said, take that robe off of him and give him a clean one. The imputation of righteousness. God did that for me. Extracting righteousness from the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world and covering me with it. That's why Christ died for me. But this justice, this wrath, the guilt of it, all of it, from which I have been excused, I have been declared innocent, not guilty, because of Christ, still must fall upon those who have never, ever known Christ. So, The worthiness to be accounted worthy will work itself out according to the righteous judgment of God. To repay those with affliction, those who afflict you. You remember it says in the Revelation, the books were opened and the book was opened, which is the Lamb's book of life. How many records are there in those other books that have been opened? of unsettled sin, an account that is not yet paid. It will be paid at the judgment of God. There is a book apparently that will list the afflictions that came upon the Thessalonians because of the unbelievers in Thessaloniki. And they'll remember, raised in the second resurrection, the resurrection unto damnation, They'll remember and they will pay. The charges read 
the execution applied. To be acclaimed as a church, to give rest to you who are afflicted, and to us as well, to give rest. It's a beautiful word. It means, there it is, up there. Anison, it means to repose. To repose. To relax in satisfaction, full satisfaction. To give rest. The judgment that brings damnation upon the evil gives me rest. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The rod and the staff, a straight stick and a crooked stick, are both, they are helpers to the sheep and weapons to the wolves. That which would strike the wolf comforts the sheep. The accreditation of my church, my life in my church. Here it is. Rest, repose. When? At the revelation, apocalypse, the apocalypse, the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. The world will be screaming in the course of those seven years. The reprobates will be calling for the mountains to fall upon them. They won't repent. They're reprobate. They'll be crying out for some way to escape, even if it's just death. They can't escape. There's no rest for them forever. But there is for us. We know two things about that. Number one, in that day, executing the vengeance of God on those who do not know God. I don't know how many times in my ministry, for some reason, people's minds float to some place they can't define or describe or point to on a map. They just say, what about those who have never heard? Well, I'll tell you this. I can tell you this about those who don't know. Those who don't know God will have the vengeance of God executed upon them because none of us, they say, they say it's not fair. You don't want fairness. You want mercy. You want grace. You don't want fairness. That's why he saves some and why some, I don't know. It's in the mind of God. But all of those who stand before him in the day of judgment who do not know him. You ever tried to talk to an idiot about God? You just have to conclude, well, you're an idiot. You ask them the questions of Christian apologetics. <laughs> They'll try to... <laughs> the, the, God's ways are not our ways. His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We can't figure it out. It's above us. And, I've, and I pray, you know, that those whose paths I've crossed through the years, somehow that path would come across the right person 
who'd be better used than I was, but they just have such idiotic notions about life, eternal life, death, God. I don't know at the times that I've said to people, you know, I'm just going to have to conclude at this moment that you're a reprobate. And I don't know if God will ever save you. <laughs> I just walk off and leave them. That's about the only thing I can say. They can't be saved by my power. I have no power of persuasion that can touch a human heart and redeem a human soul and cause the spirit to be born again. That's way over my pay grade. They don't know God. Ultimately, what happens? The judgment of God, the flaming fire falls on them. Not just them. And to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, there are people who walk away from the gospel invitations. Walk away. Don't care. Laugh at you. Curse Christ. I've had it all done to my face. Even on their deathbed, knowing they had hours to live, screaming in pain, refusing to call upon Christ for salvation. I don't know how, how do I conclude. It's out of my hands. They're not obedient. To obey comes from a word up there. It means, it means to respond to a firm command. The good news of Christ, the gospel, is a firm command. Repent and believe the gospel. What is the gospel? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. The Son of God. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God has raised him from the dead? That was the big question that Philip asked the Ethiopian eunuch. And he said, I believe what hinders me from being baptized. And he said, not a thing. The gospel, it's not a difficult thing. But you can only be opened by faith by the power of God. That's why people can walk away. Just, they're still in their own death. They're still in their own power. Ultimately, those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ will suffer the flaming fire of the judgment of God, but not the church. We are at rest. We are at rest. And especially comforted at the revelation of the Lord Jesus. You know, we saw in 1 Thessalonians how he taught the dead in Christ will rise, rise first. And then those of us who remain should be caught up. They go first, you know. They go first. And when at last... In the intermediate state, clothed upon in some mysterious way by Almighty God. We have questions in the Revelation. Those who were saved and yet not yet resurrected, they had questions. How long is it going to be? They are as filled with anticipation at the revelation of the Lord Jesus as we are. But the time will come when we will observe the judgment of God. And even then we will be at rest in repose.
these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. That word, destruction, orathron, it means, it means death by separation. I've known people who had a mother, a father, a child, a sibling, a husband, a wife. And because of whatever stubborn pride or even human hatred, when speaking of such a person would say that person is dead to me. Well, this is being dead to God. Eternally separated into eternal torment in the lake of fire forever and ever. This is the second death. What is the second death? To be raised in a corruptible body, outfitted to be tormented forever. Just to die all the time. Always dying. The penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed. For our witness to you was believed to be marveled at. I'm going to tell you. You talk about a deer in headlights. I'm like that song. Imagine what it was. I can only imagine. I don't know if I'm going to fall down on my face or just shout. But I'll be overwhelmed. With all of the saints on that day. When he comes to be glorified in his saints. This is why we live. This is why we're called to him. That he may receive the power, the glory, the honor forever. And we will marvel at it. And the Thessalonians are part of it because they believed the witness that came to them from the apostles. Finally, a church accountable. To this end also, we pray for you always for reasons. Number one, that God will count you worthy of your calling. All right, now I want you to notice here. Everything hangs on what God will do. This is grace. What God will do. Not what I do. Or you, but what God does. God will count you worthy of your calling. God will fulfill all your good pleasure for goodness. Now that's, that's a genitive for goodness. That's in the genitive and it's possessive. So that means that you could put an apostrophe S after pleasure. All your good pleasures, goodness. God will count it. It's God's, his goodness. It's God's goodness. Works itself out in our lives. This is to the glory of God. And the work of faith with power. Number four, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. According to the grace, it begins with grace. It ends with grace. It's sustained by grace. It's all grace. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. A church counted worthy. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He came into this world to save sinners. In just a moment, we'll pray and then we'll exit this room. We have deacons and their wives. 
Just across the hall as you exit, you'll see them standing in those doorways of those rooms, ready to pray with you. Would you come to Christ today? Is God calling you to come to Christ? They'll pray with you. They'll be there for you. Are you here today as a Christian searching for a church home? Would you come here and study and research and be joyful in and bless the Holy Word of God with us? And serve Him with us and fellowship with us? We'll take care of all the details of church membership. You stop in, they're ready to pray with you and take care of whatever details need to be taken care of. But for now, prayerfully, would you stand all over this room and we'll be dismissed in prayer.